welcome back to On Being People, our podcast where we try to think about what it means to be human beings created by God, living in His world, living under His loving rule. And uh, we're launching into episode five today. My name is Keith Baker and with me is... And I'm Paul Lucas. Good to see you again, Paul. You we're too. both ministers here at St. Paul's Church in Sydney, Australia. And uh, we've been so gratified to hear, you know, the little trickles of people who've been listening to the podcast and getting something out of it. That is fantastic. Of course, when we set out to do this, we're really thinking of talking to our people here at church and getting them to listen into a conversation. Uh, but it seems like people are, are liking it and sharing it around. So that is fantastic. Have you heard anything, Paul? I've heard a few trickles, as you put it, Keith, of yeah. people who have been listening in and um, getting something out of it and enjoying yeah. it. Yeah. Enjoy was a word that was used. Okay, that's so good. I, I was pretty pretty happy about that. That's fantastic. Um, but yeah, so there's a few people around and um, it's been really uh, yeah, some good feedback. Very good, very yeah. good. And joining us again is our wonderful producer, Hugh. G'day, Hello. Hugh. Good to be here. Good to have you with us. I was going to say, Keith, are you like, you know, 50% of the downloads of the podcast? Yeah, Just I playing do. Playing it on loop <laughs> in your confess. car or something. Yeah, I listen to it every night to help me go to sleep. <laughs> so uh, that might be boosting the numbers. Solid endorsement for the podcast there, <laughs> that's everyone. Right. Yeah. That's right, fantastic. <laughs> Uh, of course, um, we're getting towards the end of our first season. I think we're actually going to try another season. I think that's the plan for next year. And um, we would love to hear from you if you've been listening along and enjoying it. Um, are there topics that you'd like us to get into? Do you have any questions from anything that you've listened to in the topics? We would love to hear from you. So um, you can write into info at spch.org.au. And we will get that and we can uh, have a look at those for our future episodes. Paul will tell you all about that again at the end. But this week, this episode, we are diving into human rights. We're diving right in. Right to in. What I would call muddy waters <laughs> yeah. of human rights. Yeah. Perhaps over our head we've dived in. Perhaps we have. <laughs> That's never stopped us before. So. <laughs> <laughs> But that's I a guess, concept of diving, right? You want to dive in somewhere that's deeper than your head. You this, don't want to well, dive, dive into the shallows, you this know? This is true. This is true. <laughs> that's actually a really good point. Yeah, we're, Thank you. Well, we're, we're <laughs> Give me some encouragement. <laughs> <laughs> we are diving in. and But it's an important point. And even if it is muddy, let's have a go at talking it through and uh, helping uh, each other think these things through. That's right. Um, because if it's human rights, we're here to talk about what it is to be people then those sort of things do have, have to fit together. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting discussion today. Absolutely. And look, again, we're not trying to be comprehensive about this. We're just trying to be, you know, mildly informative. Formative, yeah. And uh, mildly, you know, that's a low bar that we're trying to reach here. <laughs> and uh, if we can reach that, that would be fantastic. So I guess we've got to talk about what is it, that what are human rights, what are rights, why are we looking at this topic? Mm. I think... This is a topic that, uh, you know, has says says a lot from a Christian point of view, but also in in uh, in secular spheres, who and people who look at this kind of thing. Um, so we've got to try and try and figure out how we're going to get to how we would view it as Christians. But I I kind of feel like as we define it, it's probably helpful to know what people are thinking. Yep. And. Uh, when, so we, you've got the United Nations um, Declaration of Human Rights, which was an important document. And uh, one a, a, a article I was reading by a guy called Mark Goodale, he uh, commented in that that there were, there were certain conclusions that they came to when they were putting that declaration together. And he said in his article that, that human beings are naturally endowed with certain rights 
and that these rights are, in fact, universal, coextensive with humanness, irrespective of the subject subjectivities embedded in history and culture. So he was sort of saying that with this Declaration of Human Rights, there's a certain transcendence about those human rights, despite the politics or the culture or history that's going on around them. And that's a good observation. It is a good observation. That's yeah. a big claim, isn't it? Because you you know, the first question you want to ask with that is why? Yeah. You know, why are human beings endowed with that? We're dowed by who? By yeah. by when, how, you know, like there is a, a question that's begged behind that. And I think as we unpack this, we're going to get to there. We can provide an answer for that because we, we would, we would agree with that yeah. conclusion, I think. Because part of his comment in the article was that they, these are empirical mm. how, but they don't really talk about why it's empirical. Yeah. So hopefully we can offer something in that regard as well. And then there are other people like Hugh Mackay, an Australian ethicist who's written on this sort of thing. And he sort of made the comment that human rights revolve around our freedom to make choices. Uh, and then and he goes on to talk about how can we be assured that our choices are the right ones, that sort of stuff. Um, so our human rights revolve around our freedom to make choices. There's another angle, mm. which I thought was kind of interesting uh, as people are thinking about this sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. So that's great for us to uh, think about as we dive into the topic. And I guess we want to start thinking, we start. We want to start doing some theological anthropology at this point. Like what we does do. God have to say about human beings that might inform this topic yeah. of human rights? Yeah. I guess one of the first things we would want to say, uh, which relates back to what we've talked about in some previous episodes here, is that, yeah, we want to agree that human beings are endowed with uh, an intrinsic worth because they're created by God who gives them worth and uh, they're created in a way that's different to the rest of the creation in that human beings alone are created in the image of God. Yep. So they are meant to bear his image. They're meant to represent him. They're meant to uh, co-rule with him. They're meant to be in relationships uh, in a way that, that the rest of the creation isn't. Mm. Uh, so we get that from Genesis, um, from the very beginning. I think all the stuff we talked about in episode one, one. applies yeah, here. It does. Yeah. So uh, that a, a universal, despite culture, worth, I think we want to mm. agree with, wouldn't yeah. we? we? We would. And that worth has been, can I say the word vindicated? I'm not sure if that's the right word, but vindicated, even if we look at places like Colossians 1, where we now have Jesus who is the image, the perfect image of God. So elevating that kind of worth, even in his own son yes, for us um, so that we can know conclusively that that worth sits there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and supporting that, the idea that, you know, in Christ, there is no um, kind of ethnicity or even gender that transcends the worth that's endowed upon us by that's being right. created in the image. Those things are still important for us to live our lives out. But in terms of um, where do we locate the value, they, they sit underneath the fact that we're created in the image of, image God. of God. Yeah. In our humanness. That's right. Yeah. Exactly right. So in from that point of view, we would want to say that uh, because human beings are intrinsically valuable, that they, they should be treated as valuable that and and if we want to use the language of rights around that i'm happy to do that that is yep. a human being should have the right to not be treated like a uh, a possession or um to be 
locked out of opportunities that other human beings uh, are exposed mm. to and, and those sorts of things. Yeah. I was just thinking when you were talking then about um, uh, humans have this in, intrinsic um, value or worth, but does, but does God have a declaration of human rights? Because he put, he put man and woman in the garden yep. and it was wonderful. And he said, you can eat from any tree in the garden. Is that a right? I don't know. Maybe it's a privilege or a blessing. Mm. I don't know how you'd put it. Mm. Um, but that was broken. So how we now deal with that uh, is, is a big question. And does God deal with that? Because now you have broken people, some who do better than others, some who are poorer than others, yes. some who are more vulnerable than others. Yes. So does God himself, do you think, have a declaration of human rights anywhere? Well, uh, that's a very good question. As we were thinking about it before, uh, the conversation we were talking about, one of the the reasons I think that we start using this language of rights and that is is because of what we see in Genesis three, because of the fall. Because if if everyone is uh, in um, submitted to God's loving rule and therefore not needing to to grab at things for their own value, not needing to put other people down for their own value. We sort of don't need rights. Everyone, yeah, uh, everyone's pretty happy the way they are. But once that situation gets shattered, then human beings' capacity to relate to one another out of complete love and out of complete security is broken. Mm. And therefore, we need to say, we need some way of spotting um, what we think is bad behavior towards other people. And that is, I think, where this language of rights comes in. Um, you look at some dictionary definitions of human rights and people talk about, um, you know, they're codified in law, rights that are given to you in law. Mm. But that declaration from the UN talks about rights that sort of sit above law, sit above politics um, as... Um, you know, a body of things to appeal to in order to critique law. And those people who normally campaign for regime change or campaign for justice are normally appealing to something that sits above mm. the law at that point. Yeah. Um, and so how does this get back to your question of does God have a declaration? Well, he kind of does because he has an expectation of human behavior that's based on his own character yeah. and based on how he created the world to reflect his own image. Yeah. So it's not, it's not a document, mm. um, but you know, the commandments and stuff are kind of getting towards understanding God's character and his expectations for human behavior. I don't know. What do you, yeah. what do you think? Yeah, I think that might be true. I th I, but I think as we think about God's declaration of human rights, maybe he turns it on its head mm -hmm. and rather saying what's owed to me, mm -hmm. what would I give up? Because um, I was reading an article by a lady called Ella Messer who's an anthropologist and she was talking about how anthropology relates to uh, human rights. She's And she, was, she gave this really interesting um, part in her article where she talked about there were generations of human rights. And so the first generation of human right was like um, – political and civil mm -hmm. kind of rights. And then the second generation was kind of socialist where, you know, everyone is kind of equal. We have cultural rights and those kinds of things. And then the third generation of that was particularly to do with, apparently uh, came out of Africa, so solidarity and development rights and rights to peace and that kind of stuff. And then the fourth generation was where it talked about indigenous rights. 
Mm-hmm. And so they were generations of growth in human rights. And so I'm wondering whether human rights now in our day and age have been ravaged by a culture of individualism. Mm. So it's so maybe this is a fifth one, you know, of what's owed to me. And I just wonder whether God's declaration of human rights turns that on its head yeah. and says, what will you give up for the sake of someone else? Yeah. Well, that is massively countercultural to, massively the, counter-cultural. to, to what we're living in today, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So where would we see that kind of thing in the Bible? We're trying to think God's thoughts after him. Yep. Um, that is, we, we go to his revelation of himself and his character in the word. And where do we see that idea of that kind of what's owed to me being turned on its head? Yes. Well, I think he, I think part one of the ways we see it is that God tells us that we need to take care of the vulnerable, which means we need to give something up. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in James 1, you see that where he talks about religion that our father expects as pure and faultless is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Yep. So I'm giving something up for them. You see that in Acts a bit, you know, at the end of chapter 4, where people are bringing their possessions or selling them so that no one was uh, left in need. Yes. Kind of thing, which is, that is a remarkable status. Yeah. And thing to happen. I would, I'm, I would have been really interested to see that. Yes. Because you actually said in Acts chapter 2 a little bit too, where they start sharing with each other. So I think. What I have, I'm prepared to give up for the sake of someone else. So James 1 is one of the places that we see that. Yep. Um, you see it in the Old Testament as well? Yes. Where would we see it in the Old Testament? Well, you see, uh, I think that's that, that idea of um, critiquing where you said we've arrived with that individualist, what I'm owed. I think God calls on those who belong to him to actually look out for the rights, if you like, the, the worth, the value of mm. others mm. who can't do it for themselves. So to think about the vulnerable, like um, the James one you've said is fantastic. And Micah 6.8, well known to lots of Christians. Uh, he's shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God and act justly there is to to uh, look for those who can't look out for themselves like mm. the widow the poor the orphan the alien among you yeah um, so Christians I think are being called there to to forsake their own rights to look out for the rights of those who can't do mm. those it's interesting as you when you said the acts thing about uh, generosity generosity is a uh, counter rights concept, isn't it? Yeah. If rights is about what I'm owed, yep. generosity is about here's what I have, I'm giving it, not because I owe it to you, That's but exactly because right. I want to look out after you. Yeah. It's sort of a radical concept there. Yeah. And, and even generosity can go to the point of what am I prepared to give up for you, not just out of what I, out of what's spare. Yes. If I could say, so when Paul talks about the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 8, they gave out of their poverty. Yes. That's a level of generosity that says, I'm prepared to give something up for you so that you might have what even I have. Yeah. yeah I think yeah. it takes it to that other level. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Can I ask what, what do you think it means then in like the next step of that is what is the responsibility of Christians, particularly when they live in a you know real place of privilege, like let's say where we do, yep. to you know be really cognizant and like actively looking out for human rights issues and things like that, particularly when it might seem like it's at such a distance, for example, you know, when it's about 
asylum seekers or refugees or people that you may not necessarily come in contact with a lot, depending on where you are or where you live. And it might feel like, well, you know, what's my responsibility to look out for the rights of others when, you know, ingrained in culture is so much about looking out for yourself. You know, you work, you, you know, pay your, you know, your enormous mortgages and your rent and whatever it is might be in Sydney. Mm. Like, so what do you think is the responsibility then upon Christians to be more like actively looking out for other people's human rights, particularly when it comes to the vulnerable, the poor, the alien among you, all those things. Mm. That's a great question. I think there is a level of responsibility. It's very easy for for Christians to then be overwhelmed and go, there is so much injustice. Where do I start? What do I do? And you can then feel powerless. Um, I think uh, one of the most helpful things that was said to me in the past about uh, how does a Christian get involved was this word propinquity. How about that? Great word. Yeah. Help, help me understand. What on earth does that mean? Yeah, I had to look it what up too it? when yeah. they said it to me. It's, it's, it's like um, proximity, like closeness to a particular thing. And so if you um, understand that you have a particular size resource pie, it's not unlimited. Yeah. Your time, your money, your wealth. You can't just give everything away to everyone because we're not called to do that. And that's actually irresponsible because yeah. then someone's got to look after you. Yeah. Mm. So then what are the things that I could give to? And uh, this thing was helpful to me. What are, what are the issues that come, have come across your path in your, in your way? Mm. So what are the things that your church is actively advocating for? That might right. be a great thing to get involved there. Or um, are there particular issues that have arisen from your family context? Um, you know, if uh, you have a, someone in your family with disability, they're vulnerable, mm. that might be where you put your energies. Yeah. If you have um, contact through, through your work with people who are refugees, that might be a way to get involved. And so I think we are responsible and we, the best way to do it is in a sustained long-term way, which requires, you know, wisdom and intentionality, not just who's the next one who's asking me for money or mm. that kind of thing. Yeah. I think mm. um, Christians should include, you know, in their household budgets, how are we going to help the poor? I think that's, that's a call. And then it's a matter of wisdom and propinquity. What are the things that have come yeah. across your path? Yeah. I think that help you get invested in yeah. that. So yeah, it's less really just about like money and, you know, giving as well as more about giving, you know, whatever it is in the capacity that you have for time or, you know, investment or yeah. Yeah, of energy yep. and resources in terms of things like, you know, being able to then be a voice mm. or, you know, a bit of an activist in some way about whatever kind of small yeah. thing, like not for everything, but for mm. kind of something. Absolutely. Yeah. So right. I love that our church here at St. Paul's is involved with compassion um, because that allows us a to be involved with, um, you know, liberating people from poverty Um but it also allows us to be involved in a pastoral context because we send teams to meet the kids that they're involved in. Yep. It allows us to bring the hope of the gospel to those kids at the same time as we're releasing them from poverty. I also love that we're involved in IJM, International Justice Ministry, because again, that is that is really trying to liberate people who have not been given their rights. They don't have the freedom of choices. They've been denied access to all sorts of things, usually by people uh, who are corrupt or are um, exploiting people. 
And so there is a chance for us to sort of concentrate a pool of resources towards an issue and then make a difference. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That's really helpful. Yeah. I, I think when we think about the responsibility of Christian, we've got to start where we started this episode and that is we have a responsibility because there is inherent worth in people because they're made in the image of God. So yes. that means that we are responsible. Mm. Um, but you, the other thing is in the way that we give and give our time, there's a couple in our church that actually took some refugees under their wing when they first came here and have got a wonderful lifelong relationship with them now. And that was what you were talking about before, Hugh, where they put time into them, showed them around, mm. how to get around Sydney, all those kinds of things, helped them with their English. So that was a wonderful um, way that they took care of those refugees. Uh, for me also, it kind of came up as a teaching moment when my son was, younger son was in primary school. He had to do a speech um, at school on kids, children in detention centres. Right. Wow. Mm. And so he gave this speech. It was He did a really good job of it. But as part of the process of preparing a speech, we were able to talk about, well, why do we care about these kids? You know, it's because, well, they're made in God's image and we want them to have somewhere they can call home like we have and that kind of stuff. And we want to do that because they matter to God. And so we were able to have that conversation. He was in a state school, public school, when he was doing this. So he had those conversations with his friends out of that learning moment. But we didn't just leave it there. We wrote to our local member. Uh, wrote a letter to them saying we want we want you to advocate for these kids, get them out of these detention centres into the country and that sort of stuff. Right. So it wasn't just saying the words, what are we going to do to act? And that came out of we felt, well, we have responsibility because they're made in the image of God. That was kind of a teaching moment for, so we can take those opportunities as mm. well, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Thanks Wonderful. for the question. Really yeah, good question. Very good. Yeah. So we're thinking about... Uh, rights and the Christian with rights. And we've talked about the vulnerable and yeah, giving yeah. up in order to advocate for them. There's um, probably a, a bigger example of giving up rights for the benefit of others, which is right at the heart of the gospel, isn't it? Um, where you see in Philippians 2 um, that Christ himself gave up it doesn't use the word right, but really it's saying it doesn't, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, which is really mm. he has the right mm. to be treated mm. uh, and to stay there um, with, with the Father. But he gives that up to take on flesh and then to go even lower to, to descend on a, to death on a cross. cross yeah. um, and that is a very powerful sort of countercultural ethic for the Christian, I think, yeah, uh, which goes to why we look after the, the vulnerable, we give up things for them. Mm. Um, and then there's a fascinating way that that plays out in some of the, the letters that you see in the New Testament. Mm. Um, 1 Corinthians 8, there's an issue there about Christians who know that idols are nothing and so food sacrificed to idols is no big deal because they know there's one God, it's, Jesus, salvation's in him. But in the context in which Paul's writing in Corinth, there are brand new Christians who their whole life have treated those idols as something powerful and have treated the sacrifice of the food to idols as a powerful devotion to those idols. Mm. And therefore, their conscience is very tender about that. They, they would personally view that as something abhorrent, which they wouldn't be involved in now that they've discovered Christ and his love and that he's the, you know, the one true God. 
but then to see Christians who know that it's nothing coming and eat it as though it's just a nice steak, it shatters their conscience. They have a, a crisis of faith. And mm. Paul is saying in that instance to the stronger conscience Christians, yes, you have the right to eat it because you're free and it's nothing, but you should give up that right out of love mm. to look after the newer Christians so that their faith is not shattered. Mm. And that is, again, that is a powerful sort of counter-cultural um, approach to rights thinking, I think, mm. from a Christian point of view. It is very powerful. In, in fact, it even go. I think it would, I don't know how you feel about this, but it would even push to the point where if you do that to the weaker Christian then and cause them to stumble, that's actually, that sin yeah. is on you. Yeah. Such is the way that we should look after someone else. Yeah. Well, I think Paul yeah. says that in... Uh, if someone Corinthians eight certainly says it in that example about Romans fourteen, that yeah. is exercising your right in that instance to cause others to stumble is actually sin. Sin. So yeah, yeah. So you need to turn that on its head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm wondering whether, um, and this might be a long shot, but Luke six talks about loving your enemies and that sort of stuff, but it also talks about if someone strikes you turn the other cheek and i know lots of jokes have been made about that i'm just wondering whether that isn't part of like if you hit me an eye for an eye i have the right to hit you back but jesus is saying actually withhold that right for the sake of someone else and love your enemy yeah you think that fits into this at all i think all? it absolutely fits in i mean it's <laughs> devastating to the plot of every arnold schwarzenegger <laughs> or Sylvester Sloan movie ever because you know I, sorry I, liam neeson yeah, yeah. So that's it that's it, that's it. Uh, I, 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 i'm out to get you um and and really that's the plot right revenge something was done to them so they get, they got to get revenge yeah and we as the audience kind of root for them to get the revenge you know but hang on the, the christian ethic is like arnold <laughs> you should have maybe turned the other cheek. I know the movie would have ended after five minutes. <laughs> so maybe not sell as many tickets, but actually that's probably more in line with the gospel. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're mm. absolutely on the give up the right for retribution. Mm. Um, now, it's interesting because Christians then uh, should not uh, be denied justice in, mm. in I think. Mm. It's the the danger with that is for you know for victims of violence or yeah. things like that. Um, I don't think this is calling for them to say we should never seek justice for perpetrators right. of that kind of violence or harm. Mm. Um, and so there's you know there's a whole probably another discussion, bigger discussion to have about there. But yeah. but justice is actually very important for those victims of that kind of I violence. Yeah. And I actually think. Christians should advocate for those vulnerable people to get that justice mm. yeah. as a way of their healing mm. and, uh, and and that sort of thing. Mm. So God is interested in justice in this world. That's yeah. why things like IGM and, and our courts and all that sort of thing exist. Mm. Um, but uh, there is a that is still that radical call from Jesus that we've got to come to terms with about, you know, when do we give up that right for revenge, that right for retribution mm. in order to testify to the radical giving up of rights that's at the heart of the love of the gospel. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. And and that gospel thing, implication you're talking about before of Jesus, what he gave up his rights yeah. or being very nature God. I'm, I was supposed to run out, I had another question about, because we're talking about rights and what we would give up. 
well, one of the thing, maybe one of the dilemmas with the gospel with this is, do we actually deserve or have a right to salvation? Right? So there's the mess up at the fall, and we've seen how that mess up has continued through human history as salvation history has unfolded. But do we have a right to salvation? Good question. I think, though, that it's not hard to answer when you see the language of mercy that's used about the gospel. Yeah. God, God, out of his great mercy, um, that the, the gospel, the, the move towards us in Christ is com- completely and utterly of grace. Mm. Uh, that means we have no right to it. It was, uh, it was offered as a gift. You know, the, the Ephesians 2 language, we looked at it in, our, um, in church here last Sunday. Mm. Uh, we were dead. In our transgressions, we have no right to be made mm. alive again. That death was the result, the right result, the just result yeah. of our turning away from God. Mm. But God, out of his great mercy, stepped in and made us alive with Christ. Yeah. So, um, mm. no, which which means then the very core of our identity is uh, is not about our rights, isn't it? That's <laughs> so, right. Which then flows into the ethic sort of thing that we've been yeah. talking about. And should increase our gratitude. Yeah. For what's been done for us. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, uh, it's been great chat. Uh, we've dived into the Bible. We've tried to think God's thoughts after him and had a bit of chat about that. Um, where do you think? We've, we have sort of been looking at some of the implications as we've been going. Can you think of any ones that we might not have hit on the way through? Oh, not a big question. We've got yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. Uh, oh, impli- I've jumped ahead. Never That's mind. That's all right. Uh, implications. Well, I think part of the implication. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say one of the implications that we have talked about is that we have this responsibility as Christians because people are made in the image of God uh, and, and that we should act. Yeah. And, and Hugh brought that up with his yeah. question before. Don't just sit around. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've covered that well. Yeah. Sorry, I did jump ahead. No, that's what okay. I was meant to say was... Great moments in theological anthropology. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, what have you got for us, Paul? <laughs> Thanks you for that rescue. <laughs> I, I I have to admit I found this really difficult to try and find a great moment in theological anthropology. Um, even finding articles on the connection between anthropology and human rights. Um, I had to kind of go outside Christian circles a bit for that. But I did find a book that um, on on the change in politics and that sort of stuff um, when I was doing some thinking about public theology. And uh, this guy, Luke Bretherton, wrote this book on, on, on politics and he was using human rights as one of the ways that um, politics have sort of gone a bit skew-if and overstepped its mark. Uh, and uh, so in his, in his book uh, called Christianity and Contemporary Politics, Luke Bretherton quotes a lady by the name of Hannah Ardent who was a 20th century political philosopher, quite held in quite high esteem. I will confess I haven't read much of her stuff, but uh, she's held in high regard. Anyway, he says, here's my quote for the great moment. Uh, In theory, humans were supposed to bear rights simply by membership of humanity, just because they're human. However, as uh, Arendt notes, or Hannah Arendt notes, the conception of human rights based upon the assumed existence of a human being as such broke down at the very moment when those who professed to believe in it were the, for the first time confronted with people who had indeed lost all their qualities and specific relationships, except that they were still human. The world found nothing sacred in the abstract nakedness of, hu- of, human being, of being human. Sorry. 
the world found nothing sacred in the abstract nakedness of being human. And it's quite profound because no longer is the transcendence of human of being human uh, the the thing that drives the human right. It became politics took over and said it's because you're a citizen of our nation or you have certain qualities or something that will give you rights to something. And we want to take that back as Christians and say, actually, uh, because you are made in the image of God, we say that that is what that that is the reason that you have rights as a human being rather than where you settle. And so politics kind of overcame that. We don't want to fall into that trap. Yeah. That's really helpful. Uh, very good. Can I ask you on that? I guess this is a little bit of an extension to my question before. Yeah. In the way that, you know, um, it, Christians are meant to, you know, submit to the rule of like the authority of the law and, you know, governments and things like that with, with where you live and things like that. Mm. How does that sit to uh, in the issue of human rights, for example, when, you know, many governments around the world make policies that I would say are, you know, not ideal for various groups human rights of, yeah. of some kinds mm. like what's wh where do you see the role or that you know the way that that kind of plays out in a christian sphere of you know mm. respecting the government and the authority from the country w within you live yeah. and the kind of responsibility that you have to yeah. human rights as a um issue that transcends yeah. politics how do we balance those things? yeah yeah how do we balance romans 13 with everything else yeah it, it's a great question. I think one of the one of the blessings that we have is that we are a democracy, yep. and so we can question our government. In fact, we can go so far as to vote uh, for a government that we think is in line uh, um, with governing for the good of all people. So we have that kind of right <laughs> yep. to be able to do that. So we can question our government on things. We can lobby our government. We can protest, and I think it's good. It's right and good for Christians to do that within the law of the land. Yep. so that we can make our voice known. The reason we're doing it is not just so that we can be nice to people, but because we think that people have an inherent value. Yes. So our motivation yep. behind why we would lobby the government also needs to be in the back of our minds as Christian, I think. Do you think that that's something that um, Christian groups or particularly maybe in you know the developed Western world have struggled with getting that motivation across in the way that they protest some of the you know, rights and things like that? Yes. <laughs> I, I think we have. And I think sometimes it's because, you know, we, I don't know, maybe it's because we're seeking our own glory in it or something like that. Mm. Or it just, it's the right thing to do as a Christian. Um, so it's more about duty than it is about love. Yeah. If I can say that. Or, maybe that's why. Yeah. Or sometimes it may even be more pragmatic. People feel like they won't take their voice seriously if they go oh you're doing it because of a of a religious mm. motive you know they right they they that artificial separation between sacred and secular that is in people's minds saying once i step out into the public square i'm only allowed to talk about mm. uh secular motives for things which is i mean the christian really can't do that but i think there's a fear that some christians have that if they step out and want to campaign they, they've got to join that sort of um, movement, that sort of approach. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. Thanks, Keith. But I think those. I think you're right. Um, that civil disobedience um, is allowed, but it's down right down the line of you know of options. So yeah. So yeah. were there a regime change and and there was you know mass oppression and dictatorship and all that kind of stuff? Then um, who knows what what might happen? We're, we're trying to obey the Lord first and above all. Yeah. Um, and where it was, you know, unbearable 
to be able to live under the regime and obey the Lord, then the Christians put in a tension where they might have to make a decision. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I think to wrestle with. It is. It is a lot to wrestle with. And I think people like Martin Luther King Jr., maybe Nelson Mandela, who wasn't Christian, but Martin Luther King was, I think those guys are a great example for how those two things work together. Yep. Well, I think we've come to that point where we need to hear, get a bit more cultured, wouldn't sure. you say? Yeah. And move into the sphere of poetry. Uh, I was, right. I thought you said <laughs> cultured. So, uh, then, well, you know, I was it gonna... might be a stretch, but I'm going there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> well, look, I know my brief is to find some poetry that's out there. Um, you know, it is, it is a little bit of a culture window and uh, we want to sum up with things like that. But actually, again, I've had a bit of a crack okay. at writing one myself. Well done. So, um, you how you it? fit the time in for this, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. but well, look, I'm I, impressed. I hope you can see that I spent, you know, minutes on this <laughs> um, and appreciate that those minutes. We will appreciate. Of course. <laughs> Let's see how we go. Uh, this this poem is called "Empty" by Keith Baker. When a glass is empty. I'd rather it be filled, because nothing in there to be drunk is not what I had willed. When the car is empty, I mutter a little word, because nothing from the petrol station leaves me having to be chauffeured and Uber fees incurred. We'd rather not have empty, be it excuses, words or mind, because empty is usually nothing. A desire for full up declined. But when my saviour emptied himself, he laid down his divine rights to rest in the Father's presence, to bathe in the heavenly lights. He lowered himself to take on flesh and to die for me on the cross. And when his hands were nailed there, to deny the posture of boss. So empty may not be so hollow, giving up claims so void of flavour. For if empty could mean my salvation, with open hands, I'll follow my saviour. I'm impressed. So am I. With the flavour saviour rhyme or? <laughs> well, that was outstanding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like I thought the first, the, the first stanza could do with a bit of workshopping, but I think it really found its feet towards the end. <laughs> <laughs> That's straight from the producer. Yeah. Yeah. Constructive, constructive criticism. We can work with it. That's some um, high notes indeed. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking those down. Oh, look, okay. To be honest, I, I struggled to find a poem about human rights. Yeah, right. Uh, I even struggled to find someone. It's probably out there, but I just struggled to find it who – had written about uh, Philippians 2. That's where I really thought someone must have in a hymn. There's little bits here and there. But what I actually found was someone who'd taken Philippians 2 and tried to turn that into poetry. Okay. And I thought, if you're going to go anywhere for the, the heart of a Christian's attitude to rights, it's Philippians 2. It is, yeah. So let's, let's kind of hear that and see how we go. It goes like this. In God's own form existed he, and shared with God equality, deemed nothing needed grasping. Instead, poured out in emptiness, 
a servant's form he did possess, a mortal man becoming. In human form he chose to be, and lived in all humility, death on a cross obeying. Now lifted up by God to heaven, a name above all others given, this matchless name possessing. And so, when Jesus' name is called, the knees of everyone should fall, where they are residing. Then every tongue in one accord will say that Jesus Christ is Lord, while God the Father praising. Excellent. That's not that's bad. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Very cool. I take it you're not going to sing it for us? No, it's I'm not going to recitation. sing it. Okay. He didn't even have to say that. He just looked at me when I was starting to warm up and I've just withered. So, <laughs> The power of my glare. Who yeah, knew? that's it. Who knew? Well, it's been fun again and um, interesting to think about this topic of human rights and anthropology. So thanks for the discussion, Keith. Thank, thank you. you. No worries. Such good questions. Yeah. Uh, and thank you for listening in. We hope you've enjoyed this and found it informative. It's at least given you a springboard to think about this issue of human rights. Um, and some of the uh, things that we've talked from, the articles and books, uh, references to those will be available on the podcast. Um, and also, if, as Keith said at the beginning, if there are things that you want us to look at in another season, then please get in touch with us. Uh, we'd love to think about those things and uh, begin those discussions as well. Absolutely. So thanks for spending the time with us today, and hopefully we'll see you on our last episode, or hear from you, or you hear from us, whichever it is, uh, on our last episode next time. So thanks. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you next time. Bye.